how then should we live? How should we live in view of all these things? We're just going to cover one verse today, okay? But this verse is so packed that you will be amazed to see all of the things taking place in just this one verse. Let's look at it. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, now there's a lot happening in these verses. We're going to unpack this as we, as we move through today. I want to begin with this first couple lines here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And I titled this, The Foundation of Our Transformation. The Foundation of Our Transformation. Paul begins the application in summary form by looking back to chapters 1 through 11. Note this. I appeal to you, therefore, you always, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you always have to stop and say, what's it there for, right? That, that classic, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, the answer comes in the next phrase. Right after brothers, he says, the therefore is rooted in by the mercies of God. It's by the mercies of God. So consider, with all that Paul has given us over the last year, let me, let me just give those who struggle to see a challenge here. This is every sermon that has been preached from Romans here in the last year, okay? So we began with saving Saul, the powerful conversion of, of, of this man who was attacking and killing Christians and persecuting, and then gospel eagerness, a lot of depravity up front, revealing our desperate need for salvation. And then chapters 3 to 5 showing that God saves sinners. How does he do it? Well, he he saves them and justifies them by faith alone apart from works of righteousness. It is a, 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 a salvation that a sovereign God sets upon a sinner and accomplishes his work. Theirs is to receive, not to work or to earn. And then in chapter 6, we see this massive implication. If this has taken place, what, what should we respond with? Well, obedience obedience make war on sin and chapter 7 showed that war paul's own life he showed that life is war for the believer we make war on our sin we we don't just accommodate it as if it's some relic of the past no we 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 hunt it and we kill it we find it and we put it to death and then in chapter 8 oh what a joy it was to see how there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus we don't have to fear the wrath of God. And he finishes eight with saying, there's no separation from his love. There's no way that you can endanger this great salvation that God has given you. And so we trust him each day. We believe and we cling to him as our hope and we obey. And then what we've seen recently in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is that this is the work of a sovereign God. It was his will that saved us, not ours, ultimately. It was His free choice that set salvation upon the likes of us and will save the Jews as He has promised to do in the end times. And the crescendo last week, oh, the depth. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. He is glorious and He is worthy of all praise forever. So, 
All of this sums up in this one phrase, by the mercies of God. With this in view, Paul makes his appeal. You remember in Romans chapter 6, we looked at some of these things. I want to refresh our minds because that was July of last year, okay? So there are in your Bible indicatives and imperatives. The indicatives are what is true, what God has done for us through Christ. This is, this is work finished. This is how he has accomplished. This is all of the doctrine, the beautiful truths of the gospel. Now, the imperatives are what flow from the indicatives. If this is true, then we should, we must, we respond with obedience. Some people say, listen, there, there are no imperatives in the Bible. We just live by grace. And I would say that is cheap grace. We don't, we don't talk about cheap grace here. We live by grace, absolutely. We are saved by it and we are sanctified by his grace as we obey and walk with him to, to, to walk in obedience. So making a clear distinction here, justification is the work of God alone. He justifies. It is a monergistic work. There's one worker, monogistic, monergistic. Sanctification is not the same. The work of growing in holiness is a synergistic work. We join in partnership with God by His strength, with His Spirit, through His Word. We obey. We grow. We kill sin. If by the Spirit you put to death, you put to death, right? So you see this, this partnership in holiness. That is the target point today and in the application that is to come. We are talking about imperatives, things we are called to do, obeyed, uh, commands to obey. So he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, which means I beseech you, I entreat you, I implore you, brothers. These are strong words. It's a call to obedience, but a loving, gentle call at that. He's not wavering. He's not saying, guys, if you feel like this, if, 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 you know, if it hits you right, this is kind of a good idea. You know, if, no, I implore you, believers, brothers, sisters, this is important. What he's about to say, we, we must do this as a response to what we have experienced from our great God. So, what is it that he is imploring us, calling us to do? I titled this, Our Daily Offering. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Let's go through this language. This is fascinating language. In fact, it's very helpful that we move through Leviticus before Romans, because this, this word Reminds us of the altar here, doesn't it? Reminds us of all the animals and all the blood that was flowing day after day as sacrifices were presented before God. This is a purposeful word. This is sacrificial language that Paul is calling us to, 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 to kind of have this imagery in our mind. We are called to present like like those who would bring a sacrifice, they would bring an animal. What was the nature of this animal? 
What was this animal to be? Spotless, without blemish. The animal that was brought to the Lord was the first, the best, the, the pure, spotless animal. Not the one that had a broken leg, right? Or had, uh, was drooling all day, or whatever it was, you know? The, you had to find the animal that was the most impressive, the spotless one, and God says, that's for me. Bring that one, your best, and bring it. They would bring it to the priest, and the priest would then inspect it for any reason that it might be disqualified. He would look and inspect it, and once it had passed that presentation, then it would be slain, and it would be offered before the Lord. Paul applies that language to us, specifically to our bodies, to our bodies. Present your bodies. Now, why would he say that? Why would he he want to, to call specific attention? He could have just said, listen, present yourselves. He says, present your bodies. And this reminds us that the work of the believer is more than just spiritual. It is not just It is not just uh, the spiritual aspect. It is also a physical, tangible, visible aspect. We have been given a spirit, right? Our, Our soul has been made new, made to live by the power of God. And so because of his work, we have in us an, an undying soul. There is no way that death can touch that soul. Not in the slightest. But our bodies are still frail, right? You remember Paul's cry at the end of Romans 7? Who will set me free of this body of corruption? Oh, this weakness, this frailty. And we're reminded that a lot of our battle with sin takes place in that category of weakness. We have a soul that lives and yet a body that is weak and fading and has this echo of sin that would come. Hmm. He speaks here to the whole of us, contrasting and and, and confronting really this, this dualism that was operating back in the day. Well, the spirit is good. The flesh is corrupt and evil. So as long as you mean well in your spirit, you can do whatever you want with your body and you get a pass because the body is just wasting and frail and and, and corrupt and evil. So people would literally justify horrific sin in their bodies and say, yeah, but my spirit's fine. You see how this happens? Your body is as much ransomed by God as your soul. You've got to know that. Your body counts. The body you have is yours. And it is given you by God for his glory. It counts in this life and the next. This body, we will fade, all of us likely, and he, unless he returns, we will fade to the grave and it will be buried and then raised, imperishable. This body will be raised and glorified someday. So, we don't just say it matters, you know, especially your soul and, and, and inside your spirit. That's, it's not that. It's, it's, it's the whole of you, all of you. Your body, your soul, your hopes, your dreams, everything you do in this life and the next, it's all His. 
It's all His. You hold nothing back. You don't say, Lord, I'm going to give you this part of my life, but I'm going to hold back this part. That would be an improper sacrifice. That would be a a sacrifice that, that would fail to qualify as holy and acceptable to God. Your body is a battleground. We know this, don't we? As soon as you are saved, you realize this. I am at war with me. The old self seeks to crawl out of the tomb where Jesus was buried and accomplished that work. And I died with Christ and the old me is dead and supposed to stay there. And the new me is like, yes, I want to live for him. But all of a sudden, someone's got a hold of my ankle and they're dragging me back into the grave. No, I don't want that. That's who I was. That is not who I am. I am at war with me. Christian, your greatest enemy is not Satan. It's you. Believer, you cannot be compelled by Satan to do anything. He can only tempt. You are free. You've been set free from sin. And so you are set to war with yourself, with the old you. We are at war. Paul described that well. You are not your own. 1 Corinthians 6, 19b-20, you were bought with a price. Look at the language, very similar here. So, glorify God in your body. In your body, with what you do, with, with, with the things that you say, the things you treasure and love and live for. Fight temptation. Honor God with your members. Remember that passage in Romans 6? Use your members, your, your, your instruments, as instruments of righteousness. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life. And your members as instruments for righteousness. Remember that that word member means weapons. That means your hands and your limbs your eyes, your ears, your tongue. These are weapons, either weapons of righteousness that cause you to be dangerous for good or weapons of depravity and sin. It is amazing how quick we can move from one to the other, from one to the other. I caught myself yesterday just grumpy, man, Mr. Woe is me. Grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And my poor family was like, what is that? Did you not sleep well? Was it? Well, you know what? Massive conviction. Here I am. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And the Lord is saying, catch it. Call it what it is. It's not okay. Don't present your members, Pastor Jeremy, as unto sin, but for righteousness. Mm, The gospel meets us here, doesn't it? Because we fail. And we receive mercy and grace as we apply the gospel and we walk in the light. Lord, that is sin. I agree with you. It's not okay. It has no home here. And I kill it. I want to choke it out and send it back to the grave where it needs to stay. That's not who I am. I am free. 
I'm free to live. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a fascinating way to say it. A living sacrifice. All the sacrifices that were placed before God, those were sacrifices that had been slain. They were dead. Now he says with this language, I want you believers to present your bodies each day as a living sacrifice. Why not a dying, dead sacrifice? Well, the answer is because our Savior has accomplished all that was required in His death. He died that we might live. Jesus died in our place that we might live through Him and for Him, as we saw last week. We live from Him, through Him, and for Him. So His death is our death by faith. We don't have to offer ourselves on the altar as a dying sacrifice. We offer it as a living sacrifice. The life that we have is from Him. And we offer it to God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't hold anything back. Jesus gave Himself fully for us that we might give ourselves fully back to Him. What does it look like to give yourself, all of you, in full devotion to God? Well, it looks very different than the way the world lives. It stands out, which is why verse 2 of Romans will address that next week. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't conform. Be transformed. Stand out. That's where we're headed next week. John MacArthur said it this way, sacrifices of dead animals are no longer acceptable to God. That's why we don't raise sheep and goats and bleed them out and, and burn them in our backyards, right? I'm kind of glad that I was born when I was born. It's a pretty gruesome way to worship. We gather here together and throughout the week to say, oh Lord, I offer all of me to you. I am all in. I'm all yours. Because the Lamb of God was sacrificed in their place, the redeemed of the Lord now offer themselves all that they are and have as living sacrifices to God. That's the language used here. Now, one C, one C. I rarely get to C and D, but today we're going to get to C and D here. I just got to ask this question. Is this even possible? Look at where he goes now. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then he says this, holy and acceptable to God. This is present tense language. This is what we're active and ongoing. We are supposed to, this is not just someday we will be, which is true, fully made holy and acceptable, but this is today. How in the world can we present our bodies before the Lord on, on, as it were, the altar of worship before Him in a way that is holy and acceptable to Him? A holy and pleasing presentation to the Lord. There are many people who would say that that is impossible to do. You can't do this. I think you can. I think it can be done. Is holiness possible for the believer? Let me, let me make a case here today that this is indeed possible for us in this life. 
in, in our present life. And then I'll clarify what I'm not saying in a minute. We are justified by faith alone apart from works. So here's what, here's what I'm not saying to begin with. I am not suggesting that somehow we present our bodies as a holy and acceptable sacrifice in order that we might be saved. That is not what I am saying. Jesus did that. That work is done. And that is the foundation of all of our salvation. That's why we are saved. It's because He was the sinless, holy sacrifice that stood in our place. So we add nothing to our justification. I'm not operating in that category whatsoever. I am operating in what comes after our salvation, which is the call to bear fruit in holiness, sanctification. How are we to approach that? Position, Christian, you are holy in Christ. And progression, I am, I am to walk in ever-increasing holiness. We are progressively sanctified, that is made holy. And that is not something that, that is supposed to happen in glory alone. That is to happen today in your life. That you walk in holiness and ever-increasingly walk in holiness. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, Jesus is glorified not only in saving you from sin, but also in saving you out of sin. Catch this. He doesn't just pay for our sins. He does that. But He also brings us out of them, increasingly so. He is glorified by His mercies that forgive you and by His mercies that change you. That is so profound for us to understand. To, to, to really feel this. Holy living is actually possible for the believer. Listen to some of these verses. Job 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He was one who feared God and turned away from evil. Does that mean Job wasn't a sinner? No, of course Job was a sinner. How then can he be described this way? The answer is, is that he was walking in holiness before the Lord in such a way as to spot his sin, call it what it is, sacrifice and address it before the Lord, blameless and upright. Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament. They, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God. What an amazing thing. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. They were tenaciously obedient, walking in holiness, fearing God, addressing their sin, confronting it, and moving forward to obey Him. Perfect obedience? No. Not in this life. There are, there's, there's a branch of theology that is actually horrific theology. It says that somehow in this life we can be perfect. In fact, there was an elder at the church I grew up in that one time told my dad, I haven't sinned in years. <laughs> I was like, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but the rest of us know you have. Right? It's like that, that doesn't fly. That is not what we're talking about. We're not in the slightest suggesting that we somehow live in a dream world where we don't account for our sin. The Lord wonderfully reminded me of my need for confession and repentance, even yesterday. I'm grateful for that. It's humbling. But does it mean that we can never be holy in this life? 
Here's the problem. If you believe that you can never actually be holy in this life, you're a lot less likely to even try. Right? So the young guy who's, who's, who's saying, man, if, I, if I'm only going to ever just struggle with temptation, why not just move in with my girlfriend? Why fight at all? Right? If I can't uh, keep my tongue holy in, in this situation, why do I even bother worrying about cussing? I should just let it rip. You see, the point is, you have to understand there is an achievable walk of holiness, and that is one of the motivations for obedience. You can be holy, Christian. It's important that we see this. Philippians 1, 10 and 11, so that you may approve, believer, what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for, not in, but for the day, ready. How do, how do we prepare for His return? By doing these things, seeking to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled. What does it look like? Well, we want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and it's all to His praise. This is not an arrogant arrival at holiness. No, it is a totally dependent, gospel-breathing work each step of the way. But it is an achievable goal. And ever increasingly so. Here's the verse that the Lord wonderfully beat me over the head with yesterday, and I love it. Do all things, Jeremy. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Complaining, right? That you may. What's the goal? Why would I obey this? Why would I really fight grumbling? What am I aiming for? That you may be blameless and innocent right now today. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And what happens when we seek that kind of holiness to stand out in our day? We shine. For the glory of God, not for ourselves, but for His glory, we shine like lights or luminaries, like stars in the world. Go therefore and make disciples. Jesus commissioned His apostles. This is our commission as well. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then look at this. Teach them to observe. That means to obey all that I have commanded you. If Jesus thought that it was impossible for us to even do that, why would he command us to do that as part of our work? Discipleship is go and obey. Obey his commands. It's possible to do it, friend. And it's important that we see so. Kevin DeYoung, once again, as believers, we need a category of obedience and of good works that is not meritorious, not self-justifying, like I write off my sins or choose to ignore them, and not flawless. Yet, genuinely and sincerely obedient and pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That word acceptable can also be translated pleasing, holy and pleasing to God. Hmm. You can please God today, Christian. You can please Him. 
God is not like a parent who is impossible to please. Okay, think of this. If you, if you ask a child to, to go and, uh, you know, I don't know, clean up their room. Go clean up their room. I love how Kevin DeYoung used this example. You go up in their room and, and you walk in and, and you begin to look around. Okay? And they've obeyed. Right? Clothes are off the floor. Things are where they're supposed to go. Now, is it perfect according to the way I would clean or the way that parent would clean? Well, probably not perfect. But God doesn't walk in the room of our lives and say, listen, (laughs) what were you doing? I mean, what is this? Yeah, the floor is clean. You vacuumed, you dusted, you put your stuff away. But look at this. Top of the window, white glove. There's dust here. I told you to obey me. That's not the father you have, my friend. God is a father who delights in our obedience, imperfect as it may be. Now, let's be clear. I am not suggesting that we are lowering the bar. The call is to holiness to the perfections of Christ. We are to be like Christ, tenaciously so. So We're not self-justifying here. We're not lowering the bar. But we are saying that it is possible to please God. You can do this, Christian, when you go and hunt and kill sin in your life. You do so in His power. You do so depending upon him, agreeing with him that this is wrong. It's unacceptable. I want nothing to do with this. I am going to hunt it and kill it. Lord, by your strength, help me to do so. And in moments of victory, your father is pleased with this seeking of obedience and holiness. I think this is huge. Some of you have this idea of a a God in heaven who is just always frowning at you, right? He's just always displeased, never looking upon your life and celebrating your obedience. Listen to what Piper, John Piper said. Sometimes people are careless and they speak disparagingly of of all human righteousness, lumping in Christian obedience as well, as if there was no such thing that pleases God. They often cite Isaiah 64, 6. You may have heard this happen in the past. Which says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Now, it is true that none of God's people before or after the cross would be accepted before a perfectly holy God without the perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So we're not talking about justification. There's only one way we are saved. He goes on. But that does not mean that God does not produce in justified, saved believers an experiential righteousness that is not filthy rags. In fact, he does do this. And this righteousness is precious to God. It's precious to God. It's the fruit of his work, his doing in your life as you submit and obey and seek him and and draw upon his strength. It is not just precious, it is required. It's required. This is why we take very seriously the the call to believe is a call to repent of sin. It's not just, oh, Lord Jesus, I love that you died for me. I'm going to live for hell and I'm going to get heaven. That's not salvation. He says surrender all. 
obey Him as Lord and trust Him as Savior. This obedience, this righteousness is required by God. It is provided by God as we participate with Him and it's precious to your Father. It's precious. It is not the ground of our justification but the evidence of our truly of our being truly justified children of God. So we say this, in view of God's mercy, Christian, we can and we must live holy and pleasing lives unto God. That is, that's the mission of our lives in response to the mercies of God. Now, 1D, we'll close with the end of this verse. The heart of worship. The heart of worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Your spiritual worship. Some translations say this is uh, your, um, how does it go? Your reasonable service, right? Reasonable service. What's interesting is we call our, 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 our gathering here a service. It's, it's a worship service. We, we, it's almost syn- synonyms, like service. We're serving the Lord. We're worshiping. We're praising Him. We don't do it just when we gather. But this is fitting. It's right. It is our spiritual worship. We don't have to take animals anymore and bleed them out and burn them before the Lord. We come in obedience to Him. Hmm. It's not just on Sundays either, is it? It's not simply Sunday activity. It is a fully devoted life of holy, joy-filled obedience that seeks to be like Christ in every category of life. This is our longing. Glorify Christ, not just with my mouth, but with my body all week long in all of my life. It's so easy to come. In fact, if you really want to know what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 64, the filthy rags bit, he was addressing the Israelites who were hanging around tombs and, and, and defiling themselves by eating forbidden foods and then sauntering into God's presence with their sacrifices. And God is saying to them through the prophet Isaiah, listen, that's filthy rags. Your righteous deeds make a mockery of the sacrifice because all week long you live against my rules you disobey me and then you walk in like you can just bleed out a goat and sacrifice it and it's all no he says obey me obey me don't worship me in vain obedience is better than sacrifice remember that to obey to obey is better than sacrifice. So don't just come on Sunday and be like, oh Lord, we praise you, we love you, and then go sleep with your girlfriend all week long. You want to know what filthy rags are? That's filthy rags. Do the work of holiness all week long and then let it crescendo into a gathering where we sing his praise. Don't fool yourself by throwing the switch on Sundays and thinking that that's worship if the rest of your life denies that you love God. Through Him, that is Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. We acknowledge Him. 
We seek to obey him. That is a sacrifice of praise. And then Jesus' words, listen to how he describes it. He says this, if you want to bring a sacrifice of praise, listen, whoever has my commandments and obeys them, keeps them diligently, he it is who loves me. So look at how he connects this. Our joy-filled submission and obedience to God is love for him. It's not just that moment when you're singing and you're praising and you just love his glory. It is that. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely that. But it is in that moment when you are tempted and no one else sees and you say, oh God, by your strength, I say no to sin and yes to righteousness. I put that to death and I obey you. It is in that moment when you're tempted to fly off the handle and release your tongue to spew forth evil and hurt. And you say, no. Oh God, by your strength, help me now. I seek to tame my tongue for your glory. I want to bless in this moment. He is glorified. He is loved in that. The Father delights in those moments as we obey. So our response this morning, what's fascinating about all of these weeks is that the whole sermon is our response, isn't it? It's the whole thing. So go and do it. That's the call. In His strength, obey Him. A call from Romans 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meganoito, right on. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried with him uh, by baptism into death. In order, what's the goal? Why did we do that with him? Why did we participate with him in that death? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk today, today, believer, in newness of life. So here is our call. I appeal to you, Pastor Jeremy, and to all of the congregation. Brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Oh God, we are so amazed at the gift you've given in Jesus. We are in awe that you would show us this mercy. The mercies we have tasted in all of these verses, the mercies we know from our own experience as we walk with your, your, your Son, our Savior. It's overwhelming. And the only fitting response is that we respond by saying, I'm all in. I hold nothing back. I want to obey with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, I am yours. Thank you for saving me. I want to obey. I want to be holy. Make me holy, O oh God. Make us holy, we pray today. Cause us to be convicted when there's sin in our lives. Help us to apply the gospel, to call it what it is, to confess it to you, to claim that reminder from 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we delight in the gospel and we delight in the holiness You've called us to. 
Make us holy, we pray. Help us to walk and to build our lives upon this righteousness that we have received, that today and tomorrow and the next, we would please you as we obey you in your strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.